All right, welcome to Hangry and Horny, Garrett. Thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're at your facility in Lisburn, Northern Ireland. Um, we heard about you through a mutual friend where we get our food-grade CO2 <laughs> to make our own uh, sparkling water. Um, so he had some, uh, I guess it was like a, a, a chronic injury that was made worse by um, some therapists that he went to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, he must have heard about you and, you know, basically saw you got some relief. Um, when we went to see him, he was raving about you because um, he already knew what we were up to. And he was like, you need to meet this guy. So we immediately called you and uh, you're like, yeah, just come down. And we uh, hit it off right away. So if you could let people know they're listening, watching, you know, um, what is it with your your um, background and what's your like origin story and also what's the name of your place? Yeah, so it's myself and another guy, James, which you two have met. Um, and we are, we're called Rewire Neuroperformance Therapy or Rewire NPT for short because it's a mouthful. Um, and we basically, we treat everything. We both come from physical backgrounds. So we were both circus performers. Um, I was originally in the very beginning more of kind of calisthenics-y, you know, planches and muscle-ups. And James was a high-level gymnastics coach. And then we both moved into the circus world. And James had extreme facial surgery after graduating from circus school. And then I broke my back in three places after graduating circus school. It wasn't the circus school, it was just us. Um, but then we couldn't recover, we didn't properly rehab until we started approaching it from a nervous system point of view. Because the nervous system, we figured out, controls everything, which is obvious. Everyone kind of knows that when you tell them that, but they don't apply it. Um, so we could never really fully rehab ourselves until we made our nervous system feel safe moving again. And then we were like, oh, this this does everything. Oh, this is brilliant. We need to go and learn as much as we can about this. So off we went, learned as much as we can, and then realized that there are a lot of people like chewing pills and sitting on waiting lists and basically having a really crap life that within three or four months could be fully fine again so that's what led to this and here we are yeah so one of the things that we noticed with other uh, very effective practitioners facilitators is that they've had their own sort of injuries and were seeking whatever would work and and then healed themselves you know with whatever practice or yeah. uh, therapy that they use so um, how long did it take for you to heal your back so I broke the back. I didn't know I'd broken my back. So I thought I'd herniated a disc or something. So I went home and went to bed. And I didn't get an MRI for 12 months, roughly. So I suffered with it for 12 months. Um, I could still move and I could still do everything. It's just I couldn't put my socks on. Rolling over in bed was awkward and hard. If I ever sneezed, it just fell over. Um, cried a bit and then got up. But... After that 12 months, I get the MRI and there was three healed bricks. So the, the, the injury was gone, but the nervous system was still protecting the injury because it wasn't feeling safe in the way that I was moving. And it's like, well, I'm not gonna let you move because there's something really bad has happened down there. So I'm just gonna give you pain to stop you moving. 
and that's what it does. But once I started rehabbing the nervous system, three months, I was fully back, fully training. So I was doing acrobatics again. I was deadlifting heavy, heavy again, squatting, running. I got within three months of starting treatment, I was doing a seven minute, 21 mile running. Um, never got that again right enough but <laughs> but yeah so within three months the nervous like ask the right questions and you get the right answers you know it's not acute treatment that seems to be a lot of modern medicine is focused on acute symptoms it's more treat it from the source you wouldn't like if your village was flooding and there was a leak in the dam you wouldn't spend all your time just bucketing water out of the local pub you would go up and fix the dam and that's once that realization kicks in you're like oh yeah okay there's actually quite a lot can be done for lots of things and how did you find out about um this therapy or where did you learn it from groupon weird story um so my now wife who was my girlfriend at the time was looking for a personal trainer and she saw a groupon ad for a personal trainer this guy called luke he now runs a company called applied movement neurology him and david and at the time he was just a personal trainer and they were just starting out with this. Um, so he was an Australian gymnast that had moved over here and David was a neurologist and the both of them combined to bring functional neurology to people. And she goes, you should go and see him. I've been doing sessions with him. I've got quite friendly, go and see him. And that's when he was like, yeah, let's get this sorted. And that was it. And we were like, oh great, thanks Groupon. <laughs> and then so went off and They've done their company and we went and learnt with a different company. But same same function, same basic thing. Yeah, same principles. Yeah, totally the same. And um, so once you start learning and applying this functional neurology, uh, you told James about it? or Yeah, I told you? James about it. And he had just had the operation on his face. And they told him he would never be able to blow up a balloon again or anything like that. And he had, like loss of feeling in his face and everything but now obviously he's blowing up balloons and doing everything and he's got nearly all his feeling back in his face and all that kind of thing it's a tactile um awareness the ability to do a rubik's cube yep. at high speeds oh exactly all that kind of thing yeah um yeah that really helps his performance in like rubik's cube he plays a lot of rubik's cube darts and snooker like a lot of visual precision sports um, and that really helps. You can really improve your speed and accuracy and all that kind of thing with it. So, And what was his um, diagnosis with his face? Because I remember he mentioned something that he had some kind of, was it connective tissue? I can't remember what it's called, but basically one side wouldn't stop growing. Mm-hmm. And that to the point where it was pulling his face out a lot. Um, and then obviously talk to a surgeon who's going to want to do surgery. Talk to a doctor who's going to want to give you tablets. Like, so they were like, best thing for this is we will take a big drill to the side of your face and cut it off, you know, which obviously I'm assuming at the time that was, that was the best decision, you know, mm-hmm. but then obviously at least it's own complications mm-hmm. always does. Yeah. And so his recovery process was doing this type of work to bring these nerves yeah. back online and that's exactly it. Okay. Just slowly, slowly but surely. Now, it's obviously, it's been a long process for him because it was a massive intervention. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just bring it all back because it's neuroplasticity. You know, you can rebuild and rewire and reorganize all your neural maps 
it's just train it like anything else like you'll do bicep curls mm-hmm. and so that you know the one thing that a lot of people miss is that they want that quick fix they want something that will be instantaneous or just take a pill but this actually takes time and consistency till the point where as you had mentioned before you're good yeah and it it does take time and it doesn't so it depends on the state of everybody's nervous system somebody could come in two people could come in with the same problem one person will only ever have to see once and then it's fixed or one person will have to see for six months you know it just depends every nervous system's different every reaction to the same stimulus is different as well but it's that kind of thing it's it's possible and it's doable it just it depends on your threat reaction and all that kind of thing as well yeah the interesting thing as um, we had talked about as well it was the fact that when you're doing physical training they always focus on like the motor nerves and the motor muscle component without understanding the sensory nervous system and um, that's the almost the distinction that I noticed working with you um, meeting James as well Judy and I have met you guys um, and the ability that I, I guess you would say like the, the the institution that teaches these sort of physiological responses anatomy physiology they kind of just like sweep past the sensory nerves and the impact they have on the nervous system so what was really profound for me watching you work with Judy the first time was she had very limited range of motion with her like hamstrings to be able to touch Mm. down to her toes where she was only reaching down maybe just a little bit past her knees and just doing a simple like eye assessment and then eye exercises you say okay go ahead and retest and you just watch without her having to spend months stretching or getting massage or any of these other modalities within like i'd say minutes she was just going lower and then you would do something else and then she would go lower and then it was just like like how is that possible and i know from my experience at exercise science is that there is sort of this PNF, proprioception, neuromuscular facilitation method where you kind of fatigue like the Golgi tendon apparatus, right, or the GTO. Um, And so you get to a place where the nervous system feels like it's okay, it's safe. And that was one of the components that you had shared with us is to help people nervous systems feel safe because they're constantly ramped up with just fight or flight for modern Mm -hmm. living so the fact that you only did from what i remember a couple things eye exercises and rubbing old scars yeah and you had her retest and it was unbelievable the amount of flexibility that judy gained within minutes yeah so there's this is probably going to go off on a tangent but there's quite a lot to do with how the brain works and what results you get because when you look at this anatomy biomechanical view and the and fascial view and all this stuff it sweeps everything under the carpet because it's a little bit complicated basically and they want to make everything very structured and very strict so biomechanical view any tests and things that they've done to come up with their theories has been on dead tissue. Hmm. So 
So bank mechanical works, yeah, look, this bends like this, but it's on a dead joint. They've taken the nervous system out of it, so they go, yes, that should work like that. Well, no, it shouldn't, because you don't have all the information, because the thing you're working with is alive, so it's different. And any test that they've done on, say they've done like analysis of how you see in bolt sprints, and how you say his knee joint works, that's not the same for every knee joint. Every connective tissue, broadly, even look at anatomy, Everything doesn't connect the way an anatomical, anatomical yeah. diagram <laughs> or theory suggests there are people with different attachments that will attach in slightly different places. So it's not structured. The human body is totally not structured. Nothing is symmetrical. Your organs are bigger on one side. Diaphragm is bigger on one side than the other. Heart's bigger on one side than the other. Everything is not symmetrical so everything functions differently and mm -hmm. that will be the same for everybody everybody's every different. nervous system yeah yeah and also every organ is different every sizes. single organ is different sizes yeah every single environment that a person grows up in and has to adapt physiologically to survive in is different mm -hmm. so your nervous system is totally unique the thing about that is what is the point of biomechanically being able to do something if you don't know if you've been successful doing it so that's why sensory function is more important than motor function in the, in the realms of movement. So if, if I was to ask you to cross the street, no problem. If I was to ask you to cross the street blindfolded, the way you move is totally different. If biomechanically that was more important, if the way your muscles and joints function was more important, you wouldn't move any differently. It's the sensory thing that's changed. So that's more important. So your eyes are actually more important to how important to how you move than nearly anything else. Mm -hmm. Joints and muscles and tendons included. You have this again often a tangent, but I will get around to the no, point. No, 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 we um, like tangents you on the have show. so a ratio of like a nerve ending to muscle fiber kind of motor unit of say like in your calf it's about four hundred to one. In your hand, it's about 150 to 1. In your eye, there's a nerve to motor fibre at 1 to 1. Mm. You don't get that Anywhere unless you're important. Right. And that doesn't happen. That only happens in the eye. And about half your brain is dedicated to vision. Mm -hmm. You don't get to live in brain space unless you're important. Mm. So that's... Vision is the most important sense for movement that you have. And it kind of goes in a hierarchy, like they're all combined, but if you had to put it in an order of importance, it's vision, vestibular, so your balance system, your inner ear, and then finally it's proprioception. And then there's loads of other ones, like interception from the organs and all that kind of thing, and right. pressure and yep. hundreds. Mm -hmm. But sensory function, the sensory cortex comes before the motor cortex, because what's the point in moving if you can't sense that you've been able to lift the cup, see, as in sense, visual sense, that you've successfully got it. Without the sensory cortex, the motor cortex is worth sweet FA, basically. Right. Because you won't be able to tell yeah, yeah. anything. So just if we just pop the like sensory cortex out and just had motor, what would inform the motor system to maneuver in the environment? Absolutely nothing. Because you are reactively moving to your environment and everything in it. So that's like feeling the wind on your arm. Definitely not in my hair. 
but on your arm <laughs> you know it's feeling that it's the pressure of the ground it's the pressure of the atmosphere that's all sensory information that will determine your motor output so you need to get good input in so your brain can integrate and make a good decision to give you good output and if there's something wrong if you're getting crap information in and you're not making a clear decision in the brain if it can't integrate senses properly say you've got sensory mismatch or something it will give you anxiety and pain to stop you moving because it might just go I don't know what's going on it's better to survive if I just don't move so yeah so that brings up the point about um, so if you so one is what would cause a sensory mismatch and then uh, to what's happening with people as a whole in society mm-hmm. who have probably most people have sensory mismatch for however that had happened so yeah so obviously sensory mismatch first thing you know trauma an accident head injury um, scars surgery anything like that can cause sensory mismatch trauma can cause sensory mismatch and I don't mean trauma in the traditional sense of trauma anything at all whether it could even be drinking water it could be standing up anything at all that exceeds your nervous system's ability to handle it is trauma anything it could be going out on a windy day if that wind against your skin was more than your nervous system could handle that's trauma because you've exceeded your ability to cope so it doesn't always have to be the traditional thoughts of trauma so all of those kind of things but also lack of use can cause sensory mismatch because what we're doing now with all our phones we're actually getting pretty good at looking down but we're losing our peripheral vision because if you don't you know the saying if you don't use it you lose it that's very very true we're losing our peripheral vision so therefore when we go across the road and don't forget vision is kind of movement based especially peripheral vision if we don't see a car coming towards us down the road mm-hmm. we use our peripheral vision we're going to die mm-hmm. so you will feel more anxious going outside and that's why people are always you know screen time on phones and that and it's going they know it's bad for you but it's bad for you because if you're doing that all the time you're losing the other sen- the other parts of these senses that you're supposed to use so yeah pretty much everybody has some degree of sensory mismatch which in itself is no big deal but it's if your system can cope because you'll compensate with other uses of other bits that you've got and other tools that you've got but it's great if you can compensate and compensate and compensate until you can't compensate any longer and that's when there's a problem because that's when something breaks and when it breaks with sensory mismatch it can be horrific you might not even be able to get out of the bed because your vestibular system's all screwed up so you can't you've got horrible vertigo chronic pain from like reoccurring back injuries for example the injury's long ago healed. You don't hurt your back every time you get that pain. That's your nervous system going, I don't feel safe. I'm going to give you that old pain to stop you moving. Because mm. your nervous system never forgets anything either. And it's always in there in your little prediction bank to bring out when you don't feel safe. What, what was the last second part of the question? Yeah, just more or less like, so <laughs> what like causes the, the mismatch? Yeah. And then what maybe would be the effect of a mismatch in uh, the general population? Why is it so prevalent? That, yes. And then obviously 
what that what does that look like in society when there is that many people yeah, having that mismatch, that's right? It. See, I always need to remind it. You asked you asked two questions in a row. That was it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Generally, what happens is it looks like loads of people are now anxious. Loads of people have chronic pain. It's grown at an exponential rate. People are angry all the time. People are either not overly emotional, but they're kind of they're there's they're detached. They're not emotional anymore in society because society focuses on acute problems. So it goes, oh, you've got a sore elbow, right? I'm going to look at your elbow. You know, I'm going to look at the acute pain, but the pain is just a symptom of your brain saying there's something unsafe or something I'm unsure about. Pay attention to it. So the they now have recently started doing pain clinics where they discuss pain and the origin of pain and it's made in the brain it's not actually happening in the tissue that you think it's happening in it's all in the brain and that's right but they're also still focused on treating that area they're treating the symptom treat the cause and that's a nervous system that is worried about what's happening whether it's maybe that elbow's unstable and it doesn't feel like you can manage the forces you're putting through it so it will make you stop using it. It's very logical when you think on it like that. Or what if you, you're hypermobile and it thinks every time you straighten your arm out, you're going to overextend. What if you don't have the stability to stop it? Just stop them using it. I'll make it sore. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, and that's, I see that in everybody pretty much every day to some degree because they're being fed these messages of, sore head, take a tablet, get rid of the sore head. But actually, maybe your lymphatic system isn't pumping properly, your lymph nodes are inflamed. So what's going to happen? It'll sort the headache out for a minute, but it hasn't cleared what's going on here. Or, oh, sore back, take these Nurofen. Ah, but actually, maybe you've got a sore back because you're not breathing properly, your diaphragm spasm, and it's yanking on your lumbar spine where it connects, causing your QL to try and resist, and it goes tighter, tighter, tighter. Now, it won't just switch off. You think it'll go, oh, it gets really exhausted and tired and just turns off. But no, it goes the opposite direction. Because if it just turns off, you'd have people flopping all over the place. Mm-hmm. It gets tighter and tighter and tighter until it tightens so much it just spasms and locks. Mm-hmm. Reoccurring back pain because it's trying to protect you. Pain is protective. So is anxiety. You know, it's the exact same as focus, except it just happens after something bad's happened. Right. And people wait till like it's pretty much to the point where it's unbearable to seek yeah. help mm-hmm. rather than pick it up sooner. And then but the thing is that we just um, mentioned is that why is this information not out there? You know, I mean, I went to university, got my degree in exercise science, physiology, whatnot. And um, it was all like focused on like motor movement kinesiology yeah. but not so much like the nervous system um maybe gloss over like the pain systems and you know sort of the the receptors and all that kind of stuff but um it just blows me away that again even the the sensory the sensory systems glossed over in, in terms of the the priority that the brain is and maybe it's just because uh it's only recently that the science is like catching up but i'm one of the reasons why we're doing it is to get this information out there because 
who would have thought that just training your eyes or rubbing scars, you have a bunch of other tricks under your sleeve, I know too, um, but no one knows that. They, they get massages, they get like acupuncture, needling, even the stuff that I use with microcurrent, it's still like treating the, the, the effects but not like necessarily going for the cause, although we do look at the nervous system. Um, but just how quickly this works, and yeah. and and also the fact that like you're you're treating the cause and you don't have to. I mean, some obviously individual cases vary, but you don't have to like keep doing these these routines like like a crutch. Yeah. Like once you're 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 nervous system is safe and it's healed you can just go back to like regular living yeah it's not one of our big things is it is not rehab if you have to do it every day that's not rehab that is sticking your finger in the dam that's what that is um and you'll find like things like massage and 99.9 percent of physiotherapists you'll go to you never come out of there going that's great i never need to go back ever again because it creeps back in. So when you're on the table or you're doing your, they're doing their release on you, um, which is, I don't really like that term, but they're doing their work on you anyway. You're on that table, your nervous system is relaxed and it's switched off. The minute you stand up, your nervous system goes, boom, right, let's go into the way that's safest for us to move. So everything comes back because your nervous system's in charge. Muscles are dumb. Muscles switch on and they switch off. That's all they do. Your nervous system and your nerves specifically tell your muscles to switch on and switch off. And they dictate how much activation they get, how little activation they get, what their tone should be, so how tense they should remain just sitting doing nothing. That is all dictated by your nervous system and your nerves, which are totally trainable. This information's out there, and it's been out there for since the 80s, even earlier, but it's constantly changing. So. If your therapy, like your physiotherapist or your masseuse or acupuncture or anything, if their science hasn't changed in the last three to four years, they're using stuff that is outdated. Like, now obviously because we're in the UK, look at the NHS. There are physiotherapists and doctors coming out of training still spouting information that was disproved in the 90s. Look at ice, for example. Rest, ice, compress, elevate. Um, using ice on injuries actually slows down healing. So dumb when you think on it. Yeah, because like nature, in a way, adapted by creating the inflammatory response. So why are you like dampening that initial reaction yeah. to an injury? Exactly. And then that like protection mechanism. It's yeah. like okay, like uh, immobilize yourself bring up the heat and bring up all these little like macrophages all these little like components that start the healing process so if you add ice to that natural down mm. sure like would you ever stand in front of an ambulance on the way to an accident and go slow down slow down no 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 no. Mm. that's what ice is 100 percent. the only time i say use ice is if it's around the face or eyes because, you know, that's then you need to be careful of actually closing over eyes and all that kind of thing. But nine times out of ten, you know, or like if there was some serious swelling around an airway or something, you would use ice strategically for that kind of Strategic, thing. Strategic, sorry. But in general, 
Ice is the worst idea you could do for an injury or spraying, uh, you know, anything like that. Well, maybe like uh, after the, the initial inflammatory response, just on the back end to create like a almost like a constriction, but in combination of heat. So you can bring in like blood, yeah. new blood flow, squeeze so out the old blood. This like, is where sensory integration training comes in. Heat, ice, sharp, dull, pressure. You know, all of those things are things that we use to make your brain and nervous system pay attention to that area again. Because with scars, because you mentioned scars earlier, it's like a GPS, having a satellite drop out of it, and you have a black spot. That's your, your brain's map, and a scar has this little blank area. And now you can put that information back in, but you have to train it back in. And you can relearn what that area feels like. Because if you touch a scar, if somebody else touches your scar, you might feel pressure, but you won't feel them touching your scar, if that makes sense. Right. You can put that back, but it does take work. Whereas it's a lot easier just to go, you can function, off you go. Rather than actually you're fixed. And people will still walk about compensating when they don't have to. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it, it just breaks. Everything breaks eventually. Yeah, what comes to mind for me is um, another because you're really good with these analogies and uh, metaphors. That's my life. I don't know why. I just keep they keep the coming. No, out I mean, it. but that's perfect for like uh, most people that don't have a science background. Um, but the way and, and you know, bless their hearts, the the information is taught like mechanically, as you say, without the, the computer system, almost to speak, the, the intelligence. Yeah. So the way I would describe it is they're, they're just treating like, let's say a car that was built in before they brought in computers to regulate all these sensory systems, yeah. you know, input output. So like all the modern cars have computers in them that can regulate the shocks, regulate like, whatever flow systems are in there like exhaust systems so um what you guys do is pretty much take the computer system into account rather than just have a car that was built from the like 1950s with no computer system even like that we're kind of say if you say all the other therapies because they can manage you know the shocks tire pressure you know whatever how hot the seats are take that as all the other therapies all we do is make sure you've put petrol in the car. That's all we do. Because even without petrol, that computer system doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Go right to the very source. If you jump in a car and it doesn't start, you don't change the engine first thing or change the wheels or you go, did I put petrol in it? I did, okay. Oh, yeah, That's first thing and the electricity. Go yeah. to the very tippy top. Mm-hmm. And then all the problems down here, just go away. Yep. You don't get pain for no reason. You get pain because there's something wrong. And you have to pay attention to it. Pain is just pay attention. Um, that's it. It's really, pain is protective. It's there to look after you. It's not as a result of something. And I think I said before about focus being the same thing as pain. It's literally, like, if you were walking a tight wire, you would be super focused about what you're doing so you don't fall off and hurt yourself. That's the exact same thing as pain, except it's after the owie. Pain is there so that you're super focused and don't keep doing that thing that hurt you. Pain and focus are the exact same thing. It's just after has something caused you an injury. That's just the exact, that's the easiest way I can think of putting it. <laughs> um, feel free to jump in at any point, Judy. Yeah, so 
you had also mentioned the uh, almost the order of operations with the visual system, vestibular, and then proprioceptive or kinesthetic is is last. So the way that you are able to maybe access the nervous system, the mo- the quickest is through the visual system. Yeah, is that correct? Yeah, hundred percent. So. The way it works, like information from your joints, mechanoreceptors fire, go through the peripheral nervous system, into your central nervous system, up through the brain stem, and the brain feeds from bottom to top, back to front. So all this stuff gets fed first, leaving whatever's left, not strictly true, but like in kind of leaving what's left for your frontal cortex, for the conscious you. So all the reflexive stuff, about 80% of that happens all without you even knowing. So that's why you know, like brain fog and stuff. There's usually you're just starved of fuel because there's something wrong somewhere. And that bit that's not working properly is taking more fuel than it needs and it should. Anyway, so it passes through sensory cortex, motor cortex and all, all before it gets to the frontal lobe. So what happens is that has to do all that journey. Visual cortex, it, there's no time for it processing to turn into the information in the brain almost happens instantaneously but as I said before half the brain is to do with vision when one part of the brain gets activated there's a leak of electrical charge into the bits of the surrounding brain basically it's like they kind of well a, a leak of activation so you can use visual exercises for one part of the brain to wake up atrophied or injured parts of the brain as well if you know where it sits in certain things so if you know what muscle whenever you're doing say an isocade or something if you know what bit of the brain that fires and activates if there's a, you can use that to fix an injury in that surrounding area so you can you can use things like the sensory system to bring more activation to an area to either heal it or improve performance or do whatever so that your motor output is good so that injuries can be healed, seeing like concussion, all that kind of thing. Right. So there is some sort of like crossover between like the sensory and motor systems. So by training the sensory system, it will, like you said, like almost leak or bleed into the motor system. If you've got a good sensory system, you'll have a decent motor system because they both kind of work hand in hand because like your cerebellum, well, like if you reach out for this box of tissues and I missed it, cerebellum kind of deals with complex coordinated movement but that will send a correction signal going no 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 that's not quite we move here and do that so it's using the sensory system to go oh we, we didn't do so we, oh we missed i can see we didn't get it i can feel nothing i can feel air and it'll correct that so then your motor system you know and then you touch it and you go right i can feel it i touch it i can see i've got it and it corrects the complex coordinated movement so they are intertwined but if you take away the motor system, like if you couldn't move, you can still have sense. You can still feel things. If you take away the sensory system, you've got nothing. Mm-hmm. So that's why for us, the sensory system edges out working the, the motor system. Yeah. Yeah. Work that first. If you improve that, and if you, if you have sensory mismatch, if you correct that, the aches and pains go away because they don't need to be there. Unless there's some acute, you know, like, oh, I've got took an arrow to the knee. Then obviously that's going to be there because that's physical damage. Right. But 
in general, like, you know, reoccurring pain, chronic pain, anxiety, that kind of thing, if you take away the, the cause in the nervous system for that, it goes away. And that's the logic of it. And it is quite logical. It sounds very simple mm-hmm. because it is. Mm-hmm. It's just the science behind it is complicated. And most coaches and trainers, they've been sucked into the big business of biomechanical training and, oh, your internal re- rotation's crap because you're a pelvic tilt without even ever thinking about what's your relationship with balance. The gravity. And they'll train your balance by making you stand one-legged on a BOSU ball or do all of that without actually realising that does nothing for balance. It just gives you really good, strong angles. Because mm-hmm. um, your balance system lives in your ear, so you have to move your head to train your balance. Right. So if this is going brilliant and it's working really well, you'll have a great relationship with gravity. You'll know what's forward, back, up, down. If it doesn't work well, and say it's not saying the same thing as your eyes, so say your balance system, your vestibular system, and your visual system are saying two different things, that's what seasickness is. Motion mm. sickness. Mm. One saying you're moving, one saying you're not. Century mismatch. Right. Blurp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's ex- I think I've been poisoned. <laughs> Something's going on here. Right. Be sick. And, and you nailed it with the uh, almost the industry, uh, uh, the big business of you know what you see. So the visual like aspects of like muscles. You know, everybody's training like the big muscles and forgetting the little ones, right? Yeah. And um, it, it's just so like mind blowing to me, like again, how like powerful this this is, this paradigm shift that, you know, actually training the sensory systems, which controls pretty much everything. Um, when you say like, you know, sensory mismatch, I just think like everybody's walking around, even though you may have like a perfect visual acuity, um, whether it's trauma or something in the brain that it's been uh, damaged of some sort. Uh, the fact that people are, are walking around with like foggy glasses, so to speak, and then their motor system has to like adjust to the inaccuracies that they're perceiving the world. So it just, again, you, you think about like how like prevalent this is across society like how many people are like accurately seeing the world and then making decisions consciously through their motor systems it it seems like everybody's just like on on autopilot because they're on stress and it's just this vicious like circle and then next thing you know um pain may show up or they may be stressed out they don't know why but getting this information out would be able to allow people to have a more accurate representation and map of reality and then their correspondence like posture their breathing uh their muscle movements will all like align itself but again like all these industries are just so focused on just cracking a a bone and put it back in alignment and then working on muscles and doing circulation and you know doing maybe some bioenergetic work with like acupuncture and their intentions are well uh, intended, so to speak. But again, they're, they're treating the symptoms without, yeah. like, again, let's let's try to like like clean the windshield, you know? Yeah. There's a couple of things there actually. First question. So everyone goes to the doctor or surgeon with the perceived notion that that person is actually there because they want to help you get better. Do you know any doctor that would work for free? 
could you go to a GP very, who very doesn't few, get paid for it? No, unless you're doing volunteer. On a voluntary, yeah. a, it was a voluntary basis. Would you work in Lisburn practice? Five days a week, sometimes six, sometimes seven, for 30 years? No, they wouldn't. No. It's a good job. They're telling you what they've been trained. Now, obviously, yes, to some degree, they will want to help people, you know, or hopefully they will well, want to Well, that was probably people. why they got into it in yeah, the first place. Yeah, exactly. They've got the interest in it, but actually, it's a good job. The thing is, people are exhausted, and people are exhausted because they're burning more fuel than they should because things aren't saying... So, say, say your vision and your inner ear, your vestibular system, are saying everything is great, everything's fine, we're here on this lovely river floating down it, looking around going, this is lovely. But your body, your proprioceptive sense, is feeling itself dropping, maybe off the edge of a waterfall. So one system saying, we're falling off a waterfall, and the others are going, ah, it's grand. Your brain is going, uh, which one do I believe? I don't know which one to believe. I don't know what to do. What, uh, uh, and again, it gets paralyzed and just goes, I'll just make it hurt. Or it will give you brain fog or anxiety and all that. Now, because things are saying different things to the brain, like your sensory systems are giving you different information, you are going to burn more fuel just functioning. This is where all these chronic exhaustion conditions like and things like random like random chronic pain conditions like fibromyalgia and stuff. That actually affects bits of the brain that have to do with motivation as well. So they can't sometimes they're so exhausted they can't get motivated to do anything about it because they're burning so much fuel just existing. So if you can fix the sensory mismatch issue and fix what's happening there, it just disappears. Um, I noticed that like ever since Judy started working with you, she's eating less like a man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, babe, like you can eat more than me, you know, and I could eat like a horse, right? So, um, but like, you know, kidding aside, like that, that makes so much sense because she is like notorious for just putting in the food and, you know, just because she just like, having, I guess, that sensory mismatch. Yeah, and it's burning loads of fuel. And if you are burning all of that fuel and all these bits like your cerebellum and your you know, your brainstem and your pons and all this stuff is tagging your occipital loop, all of this gunk, your, sens- your, you know, your sensory cortex, that's all getting fed with whatever fuel is coming through just for you to live reflexively, autonomically, like you don't have a clue this is happening. And then, the bit of you here is trying to exist on whatever fuel is left after keeping you alive. That's where you're exhausted. You've got yeah. nothing. Because the brain already yeah. uses about, I mean, apparently it uses like 80%, I it's believe, used, of, it's your, a vast energy of your, of your, yeah, yeah. your calories are, to begin with just on its default. So very little energy is just going through the rest of the body. It's just the brain itself. Yeah, and what I was going to say as well is that there's so much of my life where it's like, oh, she's accident prone. And I was like labeled out from such a young age. Yeah. Um, and if somebody was going to be sick, it was definitely going to be me kind of thing. And it's like, well, no wonder. Do you know what I mean? It was like there was so much trauma, so much stress, so much violence, so much of just living every day in a survival mode that functioning properly was never going to be top priority for me. Yeah. 
but how much that built and then it built up to the point at 2010 where I had basically that kind of system breakdown where I had labyrinthitis so that constant vertigo you know crawling to get to the toilet can't function feel like you're hitting the floor feel like you're on a roller coaster yeah but you're sitting still it's the scariest thing when you have to deal with stairs but you mean and like trying to explain it to people kind of don't get it but the I think even the trauma of going through that and then eventually you know doctors going anti-sickness medication anti-sickness medication and I was like yeah, but the thing is, it kind of made the frequent the frequencies of the really like feeling like I'm hitting the floor become much less, but much more severe, like really scaring me, like full on crying every time I had to go down the stairs because it's like you can't live upstairs in your house all the time. Um, but literally full on panic attack of just trying to get down the stairs but every day. That brings me to a brilliant point of if you just keep treating the symptom, the cause is just going to get it's still there. Yeah, it's the symptom. So you had less incidences of it, but whenever it happened, it wor- was worse. Yeah, because it broke. It had enough. It couldn't continue. It couldn't compromise or compensate any longer. So actually, it's like swings and roundabouts. You go one way this way, whatever takes away the symptom, fine. But you have to swing back. Mm. It doesn't go away. The cause doesn't go away. We're so focused on treating symptoms to get people out the door so they can function and go to work that we don't bother treating the symptoms. Like Western Europe's medicine is fantastic at treating injuries, broken bones, cuts, oh, yeah. you know, anything like that. It's actually brilliant at that. Mm. But they've got so focused somewhere along the line of treating that, all they care about is function. Mm. And they treat everything like a car. Like even neurologists you'll talk to today, Unless they do functional neurology, if it's just a standard neurologist, you'll go, this bit of your brain's not working, here's this tablet. Mm. Oh, here's this scan, oh, there's that scan, this is what's going on here. You're screwed. It's Western, when I say Western, I don't mean like Western or Eastern medicine or anything. I mean Western as in like usually Western Europe, that kind of thing. It's so focused on appearance smart that it doesn't have the confidence to go, we'll figure that out, but there's something not right here. We'll have a look at these systems. Yeah, they'll just, they'll just uh, stay in the lane yeah. of wherever they're trained. Totally. Where they're, I mean, even if you do specialize, you're not like talking to the other specialists as like a systems yeah. biology approach. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And no system works alone. Yes. You know, if one system worked alone, why the hell do you need the other systems? You know, no system works alone. So if you change something, so if we did say some AI exercises with you and some AI exercises with you, both of your systems will respond totally differently. But all of your systems will then need, like almost like recalibrate it. It's like you're sitting there with a compass and if you don't calibrate the thing, the thing's not going to tell you what direction to go in. You know what I mean? So that's the key to fixing 90% of things mm-hmm. is make sure the source is working, the thing that tells everything what to do. Because don't forget, everyone thinks there's a skeleton inside them, but there's not. You're the brain. You live in the head, you're the brain. Your nerves that run through, if someone shows you a picture of the nervous system, it's not just the brain, is it? Mm. It runs through your arms, your legs, your brain literally, if I was to pull your brain out the top of your head without anything breaking, it would rip all the nerves out of your arms and legs and your spinal cord, all of that would come with it. You're a brain, but you're inside a skeleton. The skeleton isn't inside you. You're inside the skeleton that's surrounded by muscle. 
and skin. Whenever people start to go, oh God, actually I am just a brain. That's it. And don't forget when they do show you pictures of your brain and your nervous system, what's there? Your eyes. Your eyes are the only piece of your that, brain yeah. that you can see. Yeah. That's how important they are to movement, pain, anxiety, all of that jazz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where it uh, freaked me out when we were, um, you know, listening to Huberman. And he had mentioned that people don't know this, but when you're developing as a uh, fetus, your eyeballs is part of your brain. Yep. And it's only like, I don't know if it's the last trimester that the eyeballs actually pop out, yep. you know, as the part that we see, but it's still the brain. The eyes is just a, a, a name that we get for that particular part, but it's, we're actually looking at a part of the brain, yep. which is external and it's so trippy that to the point where you know, when I look at people's eyes, I'm looking at their brain. Yeah. You know, everybody. Yeah. And whenever people start approaching things like this, they do find that they do, when I say they do just get better, there's nothing magical about it. It's all neurological. It's science. It's all being done with studies. It's all being done in controlled environments. But they do just get better because they fixed the cause. They've forgotten about, don't worry about fixing the symptom. Because obviously if you fix a symptom, you know, like if you try and fix an oil leak, if you put a bucket under it, that sorts the leak out, but it's going to fill up. But actually, if you fix the tank, you don't fill the bucket up in the end, if you know what I mean. So Yeah, yeah. And that was the interesting thing. Why we have to race to see you is, uh, you know, our, our mutual client, um, it was just incredible to see him because we hadn't seen him probably in a year's time, maybe less than that, just to refill our CO2 tank. But he seemed like a different person. It was it was like night and day because before, I mean, brilliant, nice man, uh, amazing customer service, and uh, but he always seemed like a little edgy. And uh, you know, and I think about that for like how many people out there, like how many people are edgy you know because they lived with this so long they think that's just normal and they see other people living like that and they think it's normal so that just becomes like sort of the weird or the bizarre default of of society and when when you take you know our, our friend out client out of that like you know chronic stress and anxiety and and you see like almost like the real person appear and he's just more settled more grounded uh clearer more relaxed it was just so like transformative because it was almost like are we meeting his twin brother or something because he even um even the the facial features of him were like he like he yeah the tension like he almost like lost 20 years of, of of aging like within the last time we saw him we're like wait are we even talking to the same guy i almost didn't even recognize him most people are living stuck in fight or flight they're in survival mode because their brain as i say there's usually a mismatch somewhere so your brain is in survival mode it's like i need to be ready to fight for my life at any point um and people get stuck in that and that's why things like cold water therapy and like Wim Hof breathing that are all really popular because people will get into things that are actually produces more adrenaline. Because yeah. if you're stuck in fight or flight, you actually start to then regulate properly because you should flick between the two like an old fashioned radio wave. 
you should be able to go naturally between the two. But when people feel themselves change in state, they crap themselves basically, and they will because they live on adrenaline. And then they'll do something that makes adrenaline. So they'll go and they'll expose themselves to cold water. They'll do Wim Hof style breathing. They will do all that kind of yeah, thing. Like drink more caffeine, yep. do more drugs. And like then they will feel shit after it mm-hmm. because what actually they're doing is just releasing more adrenaline than they're getting stuck even more in the fight or flight and then something breaks. Yeah. And that's when they go, oh, now don't get me wrong, cold water therapy, Wim Hof style breathing, caffeine, you know, all that so all, can all be really good if you can regulate yourself because you should be able to go between the two. If you can't regulate yourself and you're stuck in fight or flight, that's, you know, that's like going, I can't swim, so I'm going to go jump in the ocean. You know, it's not going to work. People are stuck like that, they get exhausted like that, and that's why they end up just being angry, freaked out all the time, and yeah, they just get stuck there. They don't realize that actually they can put the work in regulate themselves and actually they'll be a hell of a lot happier for it um what i was thinking about is that i feel that we've been taught that from a very young age you don't listen to yourself you know you're like maybe you're trying to explain something as a as a kid or whatever and you're told like you're just complaining you're just moaning you're just creating a fuss or whatever it is and you're shut up shut up school sit down and listen repeat what we're you know all of that things and it and it comes in from such a young age and it's not that people don't care it's because that's what they know they can only teach what, that what they know but for me it was like to shut down your intuition was the standard you mean and I really 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 went to the extreme of really shutting it down and never listened to myself never listened to what my body was actually trying to tell me um, and going to the point of literally getting that shut down with the with the labyrinthitis where I just couldn't function could not function couldn't handle any kind of stress at all had to change my career drop the salary do everything to try and come sleeping in the car every day at lunchtime just so I could cope for the afternoon um and then like eventually when I saw saw a specialist it was the audiologist and they were like you haven't really come up as right really on the test but something is up so I didn't really tick all their boxes um but they gave me the eye exercises where you're kind of like little small movements focusing on a dot that kind of thing but that's the thing audiologist you would think they wouldn't give you eye exercises Mm -hmm. if it was just an audio like you know what i mean anyway yeah and it like it really helped but they were kind of like all right you're done now that was never fixed like that was 2010 yeah and like think how long ago like and i literally and i've said for a long time it feels like I have to try harder to do exactly the same things as everybody else you does. You just burn more fuel. And then you think, oh, I'm just a drama queen. You just think you're, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever. And it's like, I don't want to live with this brain thinking that things are harder, but they have been. Yeah. But they are physically harder. You, again, I'll go back into my analogies. It's like two cars, your car and another car. This car, really like a petrol car, your car's a diesel car, but they put petrol in it. Mm. How hard do you think it's going to be for you to get up the hill compared to the other car? Mm. You are using more fuel to do the same things that everybody else is doing on less fuel. Yeah. It is. People go, oh, it feels more exhausting. People go, oh, shut up, it's not that hard. Well, actually, for you it is because you are burning more fuel just to exist because you are working with a disadvantage of your brain being in that sort of fear state and confused state. Mm. That's why people... Like, People that have sensory mismatch will be clumsier. 
because actually they'll reach out to grab this bottle here but maybe their brain thinks their hand is another inch behind where it actually is hence they knock it over yeah they don't know where they are in space they don't know 100% the relationship with gravity or anything like that they'll stumble a lot um they'll generally they'll have loads they'll have tight necks traps throats because their body and their well their brain is trying to stabilize their body so their their wee head doesn't hurt their brain so it makes it rigid because it can't move because if when you take a step if you judder your eyes and the whole room shakes that is not conducive to making you move well you should be able to smooth like a predator your eyes should not move when you run your eyes should actually stay still it's your body that moves all around them anyway that's incredible because i didn't make the connection so before i got the labyrinthitis i don't know maybe a year before i ended up at the at the gps i had had a chronic sore throat for six Uh months full full straight and um he just batted me off and then i went back again i was like no so um he got the wee thing that you look down your throat and didn't actually look down my throat like looked the other way He's right in my face. I can see what you're doing. And I'm like, you're treating me as if I'm a hypochondriac. So I got angry. And he was like, no, I can't say anything. I was all fine. And I was like, I'm not leaving your office until you put me through to an um, ENT specialist. And he looked at I just stared him down. I was like, seriously, I'm not leaving this office. I have had a chronically sore throat for six months. Every day, the first thing I do before I even wake up my eye is think how sore my throat is. Saw this audio, the ENT guy and he was like oh you've got polyps in the back of your throat and we'll need to cut them off blah blah blah. but then sent me over to speech language therapist because I had been so stressed that everything had stopped functioning properly and they're like no you're actually damaging your vocal cords now because your muscles are so tight they don't know how to relax and how to speak properly or how to function every day in a relaxed state and then a year later get the labyrinthitis yeah. It's like it all. Like I've never made those connections yeah. before, if and it just ain't no way. If you don't sort it out when it's a little problem, it becomes a big problem. Yeah, it literally stop me. It will tracks. keep doing stuff like in the in the battle of wills of your conscious brain versus like your reflexive automatic autonomic autonomic system. Your conscious brain is gonna lose. Like it's gonna lose. Willpower. As much as you hear those people like Jocko Willink and, you know, um, Goggins, yeah, they're talking about willpower. Willpower is great to a certain extent, but when it gets, it gets to a point, they're talking shit, really, because this whole keep going, keep going, that's slow periodized exposure to, in, to build their scope of endurance. That motivational stuff that they're spouting to everybody is marketing material so that they can keep doing what they want to do. You need to work with what your nervous system is capable of, and then you can increase what it's capable of. But if your nervous system is not capable of doing it, this perseverance stuff, get up and get the day, always grind, does not work. It's a lie. Sorry, I was going on the wee rant there. No, no, I love that. Please rant away. Um, so the thing that came to mind was just like the eye movement, the head movement. So you actually, uh, Garrett, put me through... Um, some of the assessments and then uh, corresponding, uh, what would you call them, like exercises? Yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, it was fascinating because um, you're like, okay, turn your head left and right. I mean, sorry, turn your eyes, go left and right, 
but like keep your head still and my head just kept wanting to go left and right with my eyes yeah and so yeah, yeah and my eyebrows and so it was like using other muscles to try and help you do the task right yeah. where you're saying the eyes should just move on their own and the body should be still yeah and then obviously there's other exercises involved with that but that's what i, I realized with um judy before i even met you and she was doing some like vestibular stuff, but I, I would watch her eyes track and then it would jump. Yeah. It would like almost like skip a step in one of her eyes, even though she has like perfect vision. And I, it just makes me think of the uh, local comedian from Belfast in Northern Ireland, uh, Colin Geddes. But one of his stand up bits is like he like had some sort of uh, vaping uh, marijuana from America didn't realize like the potency of it so he smoked the whole thing and then he literally was like moving like he was in honey and, and i just think like how many people are moving through space just not even smoking any drug or whatnot but they're not as efficient moving Nowhere because near. again their eyes are not working properly yeah well when you talk about that like it jumps about that's called a saccade and when it jumps about, like kind of involuntary, when it's trying to ta- track something, it's called a saccadic catch-up. So it kind of jumps to try and get ahead of the object so you can keep tracking it. But when you do a saccade, now you can try this at home. If you look face in a mirror, look at your left eye, and then look at your right eye really quick, keeping your head still, but try and see if you can watch yourself move your eyes in between. doesn't happen. You will look at your left, and then you'll look at your right, and you'll just appear looking at Because you go totally blind when you do a saccade because it moves so fast that it would make you sick. So if you, that's happening involuntary, it's like an old motion picture. I can see, I can't see, I can see, I can see. So you're only getting half the picture. No bloody wonder your brain's freaking out, mm-hmm. you know? The same thing as well goes, it can go the other way. So you say moving through honey. Have you ever like, been on a BMX or a mountain bike and you ever go to have a crash and you're like, you can see it happening, everything slows down? That's not everything slowing down. That's your processing speed speeding up. That's all that is. Your brain's going, I need to be on it. So it feels like everything's slowing down because your brain's just working better and faster because it's going, this is life or death. I better be on the ball here. And that's just your brain processing faster. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Just the... um well, one, like, if we could recalibrate everybody, how incredible that would be on a sociological level, you know? Like, the ability for people to be more accurate and, like, I guess more calm within themselves. And then realize, like, in some ways, uh, it wasn't, like, them per se that was off. It was just, you know, their nervous system. And, and that, for me, was a feeling of any kind of healing transformation that happened for me was this feeling like oh there was something that was just off in the system and once you correct that piece the cause of it then it works perfectly and in harmoniously it's evolved to work as a full system and it's all interdependent on all the other little mini systems going on so like the way we do it is through physical exercises because the physical symptoms need a physical solution so even though the cause is the brain and the nervous system we do physical exercises because we are big believers in if you go to any kind of therapy 
and all they deal in is giving you coping mechanisms. So like, yes, coping mechanisms are, just a wee caveat, they're useful and they're actually quite vital. So emotional responses to things like pain and anxiety, all that is vital. But if that's all they give you, that is basically your therapist saying, I don't know how to fix you, cope with it. Whereas you can actively fix it. Is that's the slightly different thing that we generally will focus on. We don't really deal much in the emotional because none of you two, we haven't done any really emotional. No. Like I personally, there's enough of that out there that I don't need to care about it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And usually by the time somebody comes to me and James, they've tried everything anyway. So they're well versed in the coping mechanisms and emotional side of it and all of that. So we can just focus on doing our physical exercises to fix the nervous system. But I find whenever the change in people, whenever, if everyone was to do that, everybody would be much, much happier. The NHS wouldn't be spending as much money as it does. Um, right. People, yeah, it would, people's outlook would be totally different. What comes to mind for me is uh, magic and how magicians will exploit the cognitive dissonance in people, right? So it, it's mind blowing because, um, there is a psychology component, but if you like corrected the physical sensory component and now you could see like more accurately uh, reality, yeah. then you're going to have a different psychology. So because people are like walking through honey with their, their like Coke bottle glasses, eyes, because their sensory system is not working, uh, whether it's their eyes or their vestibular system and then the, the proprioceptive, um, it, it, again, like it seemed like people would be less exploited uh, by marketing, by politicians, by like education. Um, in a way, there's like magicians using that for a trick, and their intention is for entertainment. But then there could be like dark music, ma magicians like exploiting people's weaknesses, and then again the the model that they have of the world, their psychology, because it was skewed by inaccurate um, visual systems, they're gonna have a certain model until you correct that visual system, and then they're not gonna fall prey to these like dark magic tricks, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. If you don't feel right in yourself, and someone comes along and goes, try to know, and, uh, like, and it doesn't have to be, I'm sore or anything, like, if you have sensory mismatch, it can just be, things just don't feel right. You know, I'm like, oh, not myself. Even though long ago you've forgotten what yourself is because you're stuck with sensory mismatch. But someone comes along and goes, do you know what it is? It's that dude there. He's making noise at night and it's stopping you sleeping. We really don't want him in this street. Well, all of a sudden you're going to go, oh, maybe it is him. You know, it's nothing else, maybe it is. So like, when you have things like that and you have a negative, basically like a system that's running to the detriment of your health, you're going to latch on to more negative things. People become their injuries to the point where they don't actually want to get fixed and they end up. But you talk about magicians, they actually use saccades, you know, sleight of hand. That's right. Because when they go, look here, when you turn your eyes, look up there, you're blind. Yes, that's and what that's reminded why me do when the you talked about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's to, they use that neurological the response. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you go totally blind and they can do whatever they want in the time that your eyes are right in front of there. you right in front of you yeah and you will never in see in front it. of everybody yeah because you you are blind even the crowd yeah yeah that is it they're totally blind um and that's what happens 
that's I just went off track on the magician but that's what happens when like if you latch onto a negative aspect or a negative feeling you don't even need to fix the cause you don't even need to worry about that it doesn't matter what the cause is you will be predisposed to lean more to negative things that's just what it is it's a habit it's safety on the scale of everything's going to be okay or oh god i'm going to die if you're on the oh god i'm going to die side which usually the brain will always try and go to first anyway then everything's going to be oh god i'm going to die because everything runs through pattern recognition that's how the brain works through pattern recognition so if you recognize negative patterns all the time whether it's about yourself others whatever you're going to look for negative patterns all the time right and then reinforce it yep right uh, and then that's where like environment peers all these different components come into play um i was thinking about this one of those moments where i just had a blink moment there but we were talking about uh, magicians and their ability to exploit that was it cir- saccadic eye movement so when your eye guide. looks sharply from one target to another so he'll do something here and then he'll ah, up there and you'll look up there while you're moving your eyes from there to there you physically go blind so he's got all the time in the world while your eyes move to do whatever and yeah. that's how sleight of hand works right and also like i remember when you had judy do that that wire exercise with uh, the, the beads, strength. and then yeah. like it would cross it because I, I did it and i was like oh wow it, it, it crosses but there's like a point where you said it didn't cross right and so that's like basically your blind spot that you needed to train up and any kind of person who knew that could exploit that part of your visual system yeah what'll happen is um your eyes are supposed to both obviously see but instead of you seeing two pictures what it does is it takes all the information both eyes get and makes it up you don't actually see what everybody else sees your brain just makes it up you get about i can't remember how many it is but it's in the teens number of pictures from each eye going into the brain and it just smashes them all together and makes the most optimal one so actually whatever you see really isn't there but anyway um if one of your eyes is weaker than the other or there's an issue with it and your brain has started to prefer one other eye it will just turn one off it's called visual suppression and it'll just cut it off that's why in the brock string if you look and you only see one string going in and one going out or two going in and one going out or the other eyes just kind of nah, turn off um the funny thing with that um for me was that when i was uh i think early 20s um working in a hotel and i was doing all the uh conference billing and all this kind of stuff and I could do a bill that was, you know, 10 pages long. People had been residents in the hotel, you know, five days, all their meals, all the conference stuff, everything, like, for this big, long period. And that bill was bang on, precise, precise, precise. And then at the end, I'd do one mistake, and it'd be off. Yeah. And the accountant kept picking it up. And she was like, but everything else was perfect. And then just right at the end, it's almost like you didn't pay attention, and then, boom, something's wrong. And then she figured it out, and she goes, you're reversing figures. She was like, you've got dyscalculia. So I lived with that in my head thinking I've got dyscalculia. And then later on going, actually, no, I think I'm actually dyslexic. Because when I'm reading, I'm jumping ahead. I'm jumping ahead. I'm jumping ahead either on the line or below the line. Um, If I had a readout in church or readout something, I would switch the words around. And I'm like, geez, what's wrong with me? And it was like, as soon as you said about the eye thing, I was like, frig, why 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 didn't we pick this up? That's exactly what it is. Well, that's why a lot of kids don't like sports 
because they can't track the ball and then it hits them in the face. Mm-hmm. It's nothing to do with them being crap at sports. It's to do with their eyes not working properly yet. Yeah. So go away and do these. This should be done in schools mm-hmm. to all kids. Should. But it's so simple. Yeah. You mean, sorry. It's so simple and it's like, it's hard because you take all that information in and you think, oh, it's just me. I'm crap. I can't do XYZ. And if that's being multiplied and multiplied and multiplied throughout, well, no wonder I don't have a good self-image no wonder I don't have a good self-esteem no wonder I don't try new things because I think well I'm just going to fail so I'm not even going to try it anyway you mean I don't want the shame of not you know of messing up the embarrassment of messing up in front of other people it's like it's crazy how wide that the impact of something so small how far it goes if you they did a study a few years ago on professional athletes and high level amateur athletes what's the difference could what like we question, yeah, you know, Al, you know that. So I won't, I won't pose that question. <laughs> What's the difference between high-level athlete pro and a high-level amateur? Is where they look. An amateur, no matter what, say if they're doing football, will look down to see where the ball is. A high-level professional can sense he knows or she knows where the ball is, so they're looking round for tactical advantages. What's happening in the game? When you look down for the ball, your world closes. So that's the difference. Is where they look, and that's the whole thing. People, again, I'm not bitching about like Western medical world, but they like to appear smarter to the patient than they actually are. So they'll go, oh, no, it's just that, you're just broken. They don't, instead of going, I don't know, I'll refer you to this. Yeah, let's figure it out. Um, yeah. So I, I, so many things came up. We have uh, about 15 minutes or so, but um, the whole like Western medicine model would be like, instead of just doing the eye exercises or first assessment, see where the deficits are and then do the corresponding exercises to kind of activate or bring back or calibrate. It'll just slap on some glasses, some like specs specs on your eyes. And it's like, yeah, it's helpful, but it didn't like treat the the cause, right? So then you get weaker again. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you'll atrophy even more, right? And then your brain gets lazy. It will work up to that point. And then it'll go that the glasses can do that. Right, right. It'll just get worse and worse. And that reminded me when I um at one point I I said that I would never wear a hearing aid again if it ever got stolen and careful what you wish for because it did and then literally I had to adapt because I was like well I said I'm not gonna wear it so I literally didn't wear a hearing aid for I think it was two years and I could start to hear things that you know almost on par with like my old hearing aid and then uh, I could see that the iPhone technologies were getting better that kind of thing smartphones and I was like wow the hearing aid technology is probably better so I went in for a hearing test and the guy was like yeah your hearing's it's it's adequate um but you know your brain's getting weak it was actually the opposite right so he's like you should get a the new hearing aid so i did and i heard things that i had never heard before because the technology was incredible um at the same token though i noticed that my hearing was like getting worse you know and so yeah it was like a trade-off where i was hearing new things but then i couldn't hear what i could hear when I lost a hearing aid so it was almost like wow the brain is plastic the brain is a muscle you know but also there's a whole industry would be completely crushed if people did reactivate parts of the brain or healed parts of the brain or recalibrated and then you wouldn't need glasses you wouldn't need hearing aids or any kind of like crutches and not to say that maybe you could do both 
you know um, and that's what we would expect we if you need glasses you can actually train your eyes to the point where you can improve your vision so you don't need glasses obviously caveat that de- depending on there are obviously exceptions to every rule but in general you can get it you can train through exercises so that you do not need glasses the problem is the brain the brain is a super adaptable learning machine and it's all it wants to do is survive so it will not spend any fuel on anything that it can get something to do it for it because fuel is important it will put that fuel to something important now if you're going like that's like me sitting here and someone going oh i need to make dinner someone coming in going sure i'll make you dinner all right literally that's it if it will can get something to do something else for it it will because it means it can save fuel to put towards survival that's where glasses hearing aids all that kind of thing it's a blessing and a curse at the same time you need to know that there will be a trade-off so you want to take it off on a regular basis and practice being without it as well so you don't lose the ability it's not to say don't use it just don't lose the ability right right the other thing that came up for me was uh, another analogy in regards to maybe the visual system but looking at it from the hearing system so if you were living through life with a distorted radio station so a station that was out of tune or yeah you were listening to music that was distorted and you just thought that's how it sounded and then someone came in and like adjusted the the dial and and brought it to a place where there was less noise and static and pure signal and you just go holy crap man you know what would happen now this actually is that this leads perfectly into something that i always tell people about initially you would go oh don't know if i like that and then you go oh good so when you start addressing things if you're stuck in pain or anxiety or anything for a long long time even the right thing will feel worse because you're poking the bear it will take a lot of time or not a lot of time it will take time for the brain to go oh crap this is safer this is better because it will try and stick with the habit of not getting you to do anything. That was perfect. Actually, I'm going to use that for uh, now. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, uh, back at you. I mean, literally, um, that's how I felt when they refitted me with this hearing aid that I had. Yeah. Like, it was a bit too much. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, um, well, there was different iterations. So the I had the behind-the-ear ones, like yeah. the old, like old school ones, and then they had the one that like actually went into the, the ear, but it, it was like flush with the 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 outer ear, one, one ear, right? But um, and then finally, I I got the one that went just into the canal, so it's very uh, or less conspicuous. But um, each time, it, it felt so foreign. I was like, oh, I want my old hearing aid back, right? I want my and they're like, you need to like sit with this for like at least two weeks for your brain to adapt and 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 mal- become more malleable to that more accurate model right and then again it was like each new iteration of technology i had to like go through that like growing pain and um yeah it was fascinating because the second iteration i had they they could change um how you hear so it was so weird because i'd be sitting in front of people and normally i want to hear more like close but I couldn't hear what people are saying so close to me, but I could hear like on the other side of the house, 
my mother and my auntie having a full conversation. So in one way, it was like super, like a superhero. I was like, yeah. wow, this is so cool. Cause I could like spy on people. I could hear like from a distance, no one would know, but I literally couldn't have a conversation with somebody in front of me. So I like gave that trade off. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'd rather like interact with people close than like, you know, eavesdrop on others. And then, yeah, what's cool with the newer technology, you can just hit a button and you can have a different mode for like concerts. You have a mode for like uh, in-person like classroom if you're sitting in the yeah. front of the class versus at the back of the class. So it's really neat that technology would en enable you to just pick a mode based on the context. But uh, yeah, it's fascinating. Just the idea that it takes your brain, like you are saying, Gareth, uh, if you're not used to it, you prefer your old dif dysfunctions over the, the more accurate reality model. Yeah, and it will take a while for you to switch. And because your brain, all it cares about is surviving and being safe. And it will take a while for something new to feel safe. So that's, you know, that whole person, you do have to keep going with your rehab because initially you're like, well, this isn't making me better. It's not making you better because your brain isn't pur is purposefully not changing because it doesn't feel safe enough yet. Um, the one thing that surprised me was with some of the the exercises that we did, you know, different eye exercises or the kind of holding breath exercises, and instantly I'm back in a moment of trauma. Instantly I'm there, you know, as that kid in that moment, and how quickly I felt it and how quickly I got upset about it. And it was like, that was crazy, just one little movement, and it was right back there. And it was like every scar, every injury, every whatever is like a, a memory cell almost. Yes, yeah, it's there. Stored it. Your nervous system runs, your brain, how brains work is they run on prediction. So they predict what's going to happen and they run all the different outcomes and go with the best version. But they run that prediction on pattern recognition. In order to have pattern recognition, it needs to remember everything that's ever happened. Not as in consciously in your memory, as in reflexively in your autonomic system. So it's like walking down the street at 6 a.m. and there's a big group of people in front of you. You'll get the urge to cross the street. And that's because you're running all the patterns and you predict the safest thing to do is for you to cross the street. Mm. Now, because it remembers everything, if it feels like it goes, God, the last time I felt this response was when this happened. So I'll just bring it all back. Like there are things where people have experienced like PTSD or trauma. They can hear a certain noise or a certain piece of music or something and they what will happen is they will physically transport back to that and you could be like waving your hand in front of their face and they don't even see you mm. but your brain will do that and it's all part of a survival response because it's a well i survived it last time mm. so it's safe i know i can survive this but i think the the difference for me as well is that it's like okay those things might come but it's fine yes i mean like today we did the little, um, what do you call it, a little vibrating the thing? The thing, yeah. Yeah, and that brought up different memories, and that brought, you know, touching right my nose and different things and trauma that I'd had to my head. It was like, boom, right there. I am, like, right there, feeling the emotions. But you providing an environment where it's safe, and I felt safe, and I felt safe that I could trust you. I felt safe I could let those emotions out and be totally myself. And then it's like, suddenly it's like, whoa, oh, right, yeah, I've been hitting the gas for how long now and sitting literally with my foot on that gas pedal in my nervous system. Yeah. 
and then suddenly I was down regulated and I was like sitting on like what second gear third gear just cruising along and it was like going oh I feel like it felt like oh this feels weird and then it's like oh no this feels lovely yeah because that that experience will never leave that pattern that you have stored in your head will never go anywhere but what does change is your ability for your nervous system as I said at the very beginning to withstand Mm. that event that feeling that whatever because only when something exceeds the capacity of your nervous system is it trauma yeah or is it anything so if you increase the capacity of your nervous system by increasing your resilience to that kind of pattern that you recognize and have experienced then when you run predictions it won't have a negative outcome does that make sense yeah it's a bit convoluted but that's the best way or there's like less resistance in the system yeah so it's like you're you're removing the brake or taking the pressure off the brake pedal you're removing the fear of it right right yeah it's pretty uh pretty cool um anything else that comes to mind because i mean we could go on for for days with this kind of stuff we love it um um i just want to say how grateful i am that we met you and for our client's recommendation to come and you know get in contact with you and james and how much a difference that's making to me and that we've passed that on to other folks as well and i think to know that your brain is plastic to know that it changes to know that it wants to learn it wants to grow it wants to get past um the negative lifts the negative cycles that we're in and how much that this controls absolutely everything that's going on within you physically mentally emotionally the whole lot yeah um and i think getting that reconnection again back into yourself and how important that is um to know how to figure out what's actually happening and to listen to what your brain's telling you listen to what your body's saying to you and have the faith in your own self and trust in your own self for me that's it's such a big shift. It's not just a shift in my physical body. That, oh, oh, I can do this or I can move in this certain way. It's all the other shifts that come on response of that. Yeah, it's a weird... I'd probably... Actually, thanks very much, by the way. But um, I would probably say it is like a feeling of overall safety in life. It sounds a bit wishy-washy, but that's probably the best way. If everything works properly, there's an overall feeling of... It's grand. Yeah, what it comes to mind is a happy and healthy home. So if you have a broken home in your model of reality, then that's how you're going to see, right? And if you can get to a place where there is like a full healing and you have this internal sense of safety of, of home that's been reframed and recalibrated, then you're gonna be more resilient to whatever life brings to you. But if you just come from a broken place all the time and you know, you're always told like, that's how it is. And you know, there is no other option, then that's kind of how you're gonna live life. It's thinking you're broken and everything's broken. And, and uh, so that feeling again, um, thank you so much for your health, Gareth. Like, um, a lot with Judy and then today I got to experience your work as well and um, you know where can people find you on the internet all over it no um, (laughs) uh, well there's a website www.rewirenpt.com or on Instagram so it's Garth underscore 
rewire NPT uh, or James underscore rewire NPT. Hello, James. Yeah, hello, James. Better not forget about James. James. <laughs> Next time we'll have you on. Yes. Okay. Need longer for that, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's got an incredible story. And um, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this information needs to get out to the world. It would help so many people. It's very simple, very effective. And uh, obviously, individual cases vary, but you know, from what we've seen, it's you know, get this a shot. Are there other uh, practitioners around? Is there like not in Ireland? Okay, but I actually think there might be one dude in Dublin now, but we know one or two in the rest of the UK as well. But it's fair. places like Canada and America and Europe generally have a lot more. Okay, the UK is very very sparse. Okay. Because they're a little bit behind. I have a lot of people listening from America, so we're in America or Canada. There's a guy in America, well, obviously you can contact us because we coach online, but if there is somebody that you want to go and see in America, there's a guy called Nathan. Um, he's He runs a company called Move Med. I'd highly recommend him as well. Where is he based? Uh, I think it's... Now, this is going to be totally wrong, Nathan, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Uh, I think it's around Seattle. Okay. Or San Diego. So on the west coast of yeah. America. Okay, but he great. does travel a lot and he does do online coaching and that. But he is, you know, apart from ourselves, I would say he's pretty good. Okay, yeah. cool. Any last words of wisdom? Uh, everything's safety. So the more you learn something, the safer it's going to be. So it might not feel safe initially, but it will eventually. And that's the thing. Everything will change. And everything changes depending on your environment. So don't freak out too much about anything, really. Because it's possible to fix most things. A couple of words there, but yeah. <laughs> uh, perfect. Thank you so much, Garrett. Thanks, no everybody, for listening. And uh, see you on the next Hangry and Horny. Peace. <laughs>